0: has trouble actually relaxing or uh, you know, I guess a bit of a workaholic but uh, I was telling Crystal you know that I felt felt pretty uh, relaxed after uh, the last couple of days and everything you know and it wasn't as though I didn't do any work or anything like that in fact I found myself in the garage on Friday and Saturday working on cars and things like that but I was thankful to have the time and it wasn't anything it, Absolutely had to be done. It was one of those rare moments when you find the time to be able to do something. And I want to thank God for that, you know, that uh, sometimes life gets pretty hectic and uh, sometimes the Lord, he'll, uh, he'll work it out to where you can, you know, relax and take a breath and, you know, uh, bring you to those still waters and get you to lie down in those green pastures. And I'm, I'm thankful for that and thankful for just Him, I, I guess you could say, recharging me. I know, I know it's a wonderful blessing that he's given me. Uh, I'm gonna try to sing before I get into the message, Crystal. Do you feel like helping me? <coughs> don't want to hang my harp up on the willow or anything like that. And sometimes I just don't feel up to it but this morning I do. <coughs> Address unknown. <I> <coughs> Well I've been here and I've been there I've been almost everywhere But I've found nothing that I can compare With the feeling of a knowing that he's coming again To take me to a place that I've never been A place that all God's children are gonna share I know he's made a place for me Don't know what my address will be if you want to get in touch with me, I'll be somewhere in glory land. I can live up there for free. Jesus paid the price for me, and it will last for eternity, for it was built by God's hand. Well, I've seen joy and I've seen pain. I've seen almost everything, but I've seen nothing that I can compare. With the feeling of a knowing that he's coming again to take me to a place that I've never been, a place that all God's children are going to share. I know he's made a place for me, don't know what my address will be. If you want to get in touch with me, I'll be somewhere in glory land. I can live up there for free. Jesus paid the price for me, and it will last for eternity. For it was built by God's hands. Amen. Thankful to have Crystal here with me this morning to help me sing. Uh, that's a blessing too. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning and you want to turn there, we'll be taking some scripture out of the Gospel according to John, in chapter six, and uh, we'll start uh, we'll start reading at around uh, verse 29, and uh, probably down through. Uh, verse 40. And you know, one of the things that uh, has kind of caused me to, to think about this particular set of scriptures is how uh, in this world, you know, people are all the time looking for, um, they're looking to find something you know signs and wonders and things like that and 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 and, you know this is this is not common to just today they did that with jesus you know that in a couple of different places they said we would we would see a sign of you we would see you know prove it to us that you are who that you say you are and uh, the, the irony is is that when all of this uh, begins to take place, it's right after that Jesus has just done a mighty miracle. That this is when that Jesus has fed 5,000 people and he walks on water and he does these things. And then uh, the, this chapter, you know, you would think that chapter 6, the way that it starts out, that it would end on a high note. And yet if you've read all of chapter 6, you'll find that it says, and at the end of it, a lot of people walk away. They walk away from trusting in Christ and they're just like, well, you know, he, he's gone completely off of the rails and, and he's really lost where that it is that he's at. But the thing is, is that uh, the word of God is true. And our world that we live in a lot of times though is they want to define or they want to tell their own truth. They want to come to you and say, well, here's how I see it. This is how that makes me feel. And they're all wrapped up in in an emotionalism and and, and sensationalism rather than looking and saying, look, there is a God in heaven and beside Him there is no other. And when Jesus begins to talk to him here, uh, He begins to refer to Himself as the bread of life. And that bread of life is so very important to especially a world that is dying and going to hell. And the the thing that I find is that uh, you know they they all the time say when a Christian loses their way that uh, they've fallen from grace or that they've uh, uh, gone off track. But I'll tell you that in Christ, uh, and Jesus said uh, uh, that those that would fall upon that rock, uh, uh, that they would be saved. Uh, And we need to fall into the grace because man is born outside of God. God's grace Uh, and what we need uh, is that nourishing grace uh, that bread of life which has come down from heaven uh, uh, that we might be saved Uh, uh, and a lot of times people want to look around uh, and they want to say but what is it uh, that God wants in this world and Jesus says it very plainly in the 8th chapter of this same book when he says that I've come to do the will of my father uh, and the will of my father is that none should perish. And we'll start reading at verse, uh, verse 29, or verse 28 probably would be better. Uh, it says, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that, me, that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Then they said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee, And what dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they've asked him for a sign and at another point when he was asked for a sign he told them look a wicked and an adulterous generation seeketh for a sign and that's very applicable to today you go to witness to somebody and they'll say what makes Christianity any different than Buddhism or Hare Krishna or one of these cults or something like that out there. They say what makes it different? Well the difference is, uh, is that we can talk about God all that we want uh, but without Jesus Christ uh, as a connector to that Most High God, uh, without His grace, uh, without His sanctification, we can't get to God. It's like, uh, and I remember years ago, uh, we When I worked for Dad over at Beach Fork Lake, and we would be always—it always happened—we'd be mowing the road that goes to the beach area there. And me and my brothers, we'd be out there swinging a weed eater, and we'd see somebody come rolling up in a camper next to us. And lots of you'd see little happy faces sticking out the windows, and everybody's excited because they thought their long journey had quit. And they'd ask, "Hey, where exactly is the campground?" I didn't see any signs. And I remember one time a guy that was working for us, he literally looked at him and said, you can't get there from here. And of course one of us interceded and said, well you can, but you're going to have to go back the way you came. You've made a wrong turn. You've gone down the wrong path. uh, Because they made it to Beach Fork Lake, but the wrong side of Beach Fork Lake. Now I know there are camping areas over there now, but there wasn't then. And they went to the most logical place, the place that seemed right to them. But it wasn't. And they had to turn around. And you see a lot of times though people, they'll look at Christianity and they'll get something wrong. They'll twist something or they'll miss a scripture. uh, Or or they'll have somebody mislead them. uh, And then they'll just walk away from the whole thing. Uh, And I don't imagine that any of those people that come pulling up uh, in that big nice camper when we told them look uh, and give them directions on how to get to the actual campground that they said, well that's it for me. I'm just not going camping. I never saw any of them pull the brake on that camper and get out and walk home. And how absurd that that would be and yet that's the way that people do with the faith all the time because that they're not seeing signs and they're not seeing wonders. They're not having their prayers answered immediately. And Jesus was dealing with a group of people who they were saying, look, what can we do? And then when Jesus tells them, they say, prove it to us. And yet it's faith-based. And faith based means you take a step when you're not sure if there's going to be ground for the next foot to land on, that you trust and then you obey. And so Jesus goes on now. They're talking about the manna. And they said, Now, our fathers, they were following the manna. They misread the scripture because if you go all the way back there, it says that God led them by a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. The manna was how He sustained them. Uh, but they weren't being given signs in that, uh, so much so as it was God supplying their needs just like this chapter starts out. There's a crowd of people there. They get hungry, and Jesus feeds them. And He works a miracle when that He takes just a few morsels of food, and He multiplies it uh, uh, with the power of the Most High God. Uh, He's able to feed them uh, in a manner in which they couldn't have fed themselves. And so He's actually... Already done it. And they've asked for this, but now He tells them, look, you're asking for things of the flesh, but in order to obtain grace, you need things of the Spirit. You can't get grace through the Spirit. Or through the flesh, you can only get it through the Spirit. And you'll notice that he goes on in verse 32, he answers him. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth the true bread from heaven. He, you know, they were big about Moses. I believe that's why that God took Moses. It said before they went into Canaan that Moses was led away from the people and he died. And God took him and buried him. And they didn't know where Moses was at. And I can tell you this, I believe the devil would have gladly taken Moses and set him up as the Israelite God and here we find that still relevant and it's no different than putting your trust in a man but if you remember the book of Joshua starts out it says Moses is dead God removed all doubt from him but you'll notice now that when God spoke to Moses he told him I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And He's not a God of the dead, but rather a God of the living. And so Jesus tells them, look, you think it was Moses and it was God working through Moses. And Moses was just telling them. And God would have told them all. But at one point, they looked around and they said, "Uh, Moses, will you make it to where will you talk to God and tell Him to talk to you and then you talk to us? God talked to all of them And it scared them away. And I fear that that's what happens with a lot of people nowadays when God begins dealing with somebody. They don't know how to react. They don't have somebody. Like during the time of Samuel. He's laying in the bed there. He's been sent to Eli. that His mother Hannah has given him to God. And he hears somebody calling his name and he runs to Eli. And finally, Eli... Figures out what's going on. And he says, look, the next time, he said, Speak, Lord, for thy servant is listening. And I tell you today, when God begins to deal with you, when you're down praying, when you're seeking His face, and He begins to deal with you, you might want to practice that and say, Speak, Lord, thy servant is listening. Whatever it is that you've got for me, God, that's what I want to hear. And Jesus is telling them, Look, that what you're asking for, I've already given you bread for your body, but now you need bread of life for your soul. And you'll notice He goes on in verse 33. He said, For the bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto Him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. They're like, that sounds great but still they're talking about physical bread and Jesus is telling them what you've got to have is the bread of life and I can tell you this and I remember my cousin Holly she had spent some time in Hawaii with her husband when he was sent there through the U.S. Army and you couldn't get Heiner's bread in Hawaii for some strange reason and she loved Heiner's bread. And she would say often, anytime that I'd talk to her, she'd say, the bread here just ain't Heiner's bread. And some of my other cousins went out and paid her a visit. And they carried on some Heiner's bread and carried it across the Pacific Ocean or halfway across it and brought it to her, delivered it right to her house. And she was glad to receive that bread. But you know, it didn't last. I'm sure in my conversations with her, she told me, oh, I made sure that it lasted just the right amount of time. And I tell you this though. When we get bread. When we get this bread. We need to make sure. That we've got it ever more. Like these people have asked for. But they've asked for the wrong kind of bread. Because you'll notice Jesus. In the book of Matthew. When he was being tempted of Satan. And Satan pointed at stones and said. Hey if you're the son of God. Then turn those rocks into bread. And I always find that like a little kid trying to gauge an adult's strength. And I guarantee you everybody's been there at one point or another. Well, can you lift this up? Can you pick me up? How many push-ups can you do? I've got middle schoolers all the time. What do you bench, Mr. Williamson? I'm like, I don't know, 10 pounds. Oh, you can bench more than that, can't you? I don't know, probably 15 and I'll do that. Well, no, seriously, how much can you be? And they're trying to gauge this out. And they're trying to figure these things out. And they're really, it's really appealing. And I'll, I'll stand up here and be perfectly honest with you. It's appealing to tell them, look, kid, I'm way, way stronger than you are. Like if we were to, to, to tussle, it wouldn't even be close. You would, I wouldn't hardly know you're there. But I don't. For one, because that's very prideful. And for two, I could be wrong. Some of them kids are pretty stout. But the truth is, is that a lot of times, when it comes to bread, when it comes to uh, uh, life and everything, we want to prove, oh yeah, we've got it. We've got it in spades. And Satan, he did this to Jesus. He appealed to his pride. But Jesus told him, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that right there, coupled with this scripture, you ought to be able to find out that it's better to have that bread of God which comes down from heaven than it is to have this bread that'll feed this body. Because it won't last. But the bread of God which cometh down from heaven, it'll last. You'll notice he goes on in verse 35 and it says and he said unto them I am the bread of life. If they had any doubt prior to that he just erased it. Look, let me say it plainly. That's me. I'm the bread of life. And like I said earlier about this chapter you would think that people would say yes, this is what we need. This is who we'll follow. But when he goes to talking about drinking his blood and eating his flesh they say that's that's too much for me that's too difficult that's too hard well, you'll notice he goes on and says he that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst that what he's saying to him very plainly is he saying even if your body dies i'll take care of you in the gospel according to john and he said he wrote this book that you might believe that jesus christ is the son of god that i'll tell you this without hesitation that jesus christ is in fact the son of god And He spelled it out plainly. He demonstrated His power uh, over this world and over death itself. When He comes to Lazarus' tomb, if my memory serves me, it's somewhere around the 11th chapter of this same book. And he comes there and he speaks and he says it uh, not uh, for anybody's sake other than that the people around him would know uh, that God was working through him uh, uh, and that he, uh, speaking to dead ears, caused the dead to live again. Uh, and he told Martha, Lazarus' sister, he said, look, uh, I am the resurrection. I am the one uh, uh, that will bring life uh, when death has taken over. And that's what he came into this world to do. In verse 36, he says, But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. I think this scripture goes out to anybody who's ever sat continually under the preached word, gone to church for years, and it's like water on a duck's back. They say that all the time. We know that they're going to get up. He's going to start out kind of quiet and then get loud and then fluctuate. Throughout the sermon, all the way through it, it's rather formulaic. And I know what's going to happen before that I get there. Uh, and, and you know, when I learned in, in a speech class about public speaking, they say that you've got to be careful when people know exactly what it is that you're going to say when you get up to give a speech. And yet I found that with a sense of irony, especially considering that when I get up to preach, I hope that you have an inkling that it's going to be about Jesus. As I would ask my kids when we would be on the way home from church and I, what daddy preach about, just see if they were actually listening. And of course, Elijah, being the clever lad that he was, he'd say, Jesus, touche, my son. I guess that technically is correct. But what specifically? And I think asking oneself uh, the question, how does this scripture specifically apply to me when we read the Bible? Whether we're lost. Whether we're saved, whether we've been a Christian for but a day, or a Christian for many years, when we sit down and read the Word of God, are we asking God, God, open my eyes. God, reveal Your truth to me, not my truth. God, I don't want to try to make this Word fit with what I think, but rather I want You to set me right. And if a person comes to the Word of God, and I've had this happen to me, I've seen it happen to other people when you sit down to read the Word of God because you want it to confirm what you already think. Now you think about how foolish that that is. I want to win an argument, so I'm going to study it. I'm going to Google these Scriptures so that I can get on Facebook and be a keyboard warrior and win an argument with somebody. And How deplorable that that is. Or come to somebody that you know has got a reputation uh, for knowing the Word of God and then say, wouldn't you agree? I, I can tell you right now, when somebody comes to me with that and they say, wouldn't you agree, Brother Jeremiah? That's usually when I want to put the brakes on the conversation. What are you up to here? Why are you asking me this? And you see, Jesus, when He's talking to these people, He's told them these things. They've seen the works that He's done and they still don't Believe. And that's quite a bit of condemnation for them. Because, you know, at one point, I believe it's in the gospel according to Matthew, that Jesus is pronouncing woes upon. Chorazin and upon Bethsaida and upon Capernaum and all these things and he says look all the works that have been done in you he said if they'd have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes and I think the big problem for our society today is they think they know Jesus because they've heard of him they think they know the word of God because they have a bible in their house because they have the 23rd Psalm cross stitched on a pillow and yet there's a lot of scripture that they don't know uh, and they've never visited and they've never considered uh, and they don't have a covenant relationship with Christ because they're not willing to let go of the things of this world the things that are important to them and the truth is that if something's important to you you'll see to it you'll take care of it you'll maintain it a lot of times for the christian we may forget to maintain we may let things go I've been there I've done that it's no different than in our everyday life of taking care of problems with our automobile or our home or something like that we've got to maintain and it's not that there's a deficiency on God's end that's not the problem the problem is we wander. The problem is, is that we get comfortable. We begin to walk this life. And and I'll tell you that a lot of times, it seems like the biggest defeat for me is when there's no turmoil. That I'll get lazy and comfortable. And then sometimes, God will have to stir me up. And Jesus is talking to a group of people who have ate the food that He gave them. And you know, at one point, he actually looks at him and says, you're only here because you're, you're wanting me to give you food. You're wanting me to, uh, 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 to multiply the fish and, and the loaves of bread and give you that. But now he's telling him about the bread of life. And he's telling him in verse 36, I'll read it again, it says, but I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. Verse 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. <laughs> you know what that means? That's the same as when he said, Come unto me all ye that are labored and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Is that he's saying, look, if you come to me in earnest, you're going to get what you need. You're going to receive it. Now don't take this as a blank check. That when you say, Lord, I want a million dollars, that he's going to give it to you. But what it does mean is that if somebody needs salvation, and they come to him in earnest, and they seek him out while he may be found, that he's not going to cast them out. He's faithful and just in that. But notice what he says in the next verse, verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. Uh, That what I consider most of all there, uh, is you see, He had fleshly desires just like you and I. He was tempted at all times just like you or I. And yet he decided, you know what? I'm not going to sin against God. I'm not going to give in to these things. That's why that it said that in the flesh, he was able to condemn sin. Because that he came not to do the will of the flesh, but the will of the Father. And the will of the Father, in verse 39 it says, and this is the Father's will which he hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last. Day uh, that he's saying look uh, if I save somebody when they die uh, they're going to be raised up. Uh, The apostle Paul had to deal with this in Thessalonians Uh, there were people that thought hey uh, if somebody dies uh, before the Lord comes back then they die without hope Uh, and I imagine the apostle Paul uh, got a little weary of answering these questions and he told them look uh, those that sleep in Christ uh, have the same hope that those that are alive Uh, you have that hope to Day, and if he tays is coming, and you pass on, you'll die with that hope to be raised up again at the last day. And it's black print on white paper right there in front of you. If you're fond of writing in your Bible, you might want to write "Hallelujah" next to that particular scripture because what that says is whether you're dead or alive. And you'll notice the Apostle Paul. He looked around. And he said, "I'm convinced." That neither life nor death. He listed those two things first. Uh, And he goes on with his list that I won't butcher in front of you right now. Uh, But he ultimately rolls it down and says that none of those things, uh, nothing in this world uh, is going to separate us uh, from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, And that's in the most difficult of all times. Because you'll notice that in verse 40 he says, and this is the will of Him that sent me that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him not just see Him but believe on Him it says may have everlasting life that's a request granted he's saying if you see the Son and you believe on Him it makes me think of Philip and that Ethiopian eunuch you know that Ethiopian eunuch and, and, and I don't know maybe I take a different lesson from that But I've had people ask me, well, what about somebody in a third world country where no Christians have ever been? How are they going to get Christ? And I often resort to that story about that Ethiopian eunuch. Because Paul said in Romans, he said that it's ingrained into him. It's hardwired into a human being to know that there's a greater power beyond themselves. In his sermon to the Athenians, when they had an idol set up to the unknown God, he said, who you worship ignorantly, it's Him that I preach to you this day. The unknown God. And imagine that person uh, out in the farthest reaches of the deepest, darkest jungle. And they look around and begin to question and wonder, there's got to be something better than this. They're living a life maybe where death is all around. They're like, this can't be it. There's got to be more. There's got to be something beyond this. And maybe they hear about the water spirits and they say, they're unreliable. They seem vindictive. And they just don't seem right. And they begin to wonder about it. I can tell you this. Just like God did with that Ethiopian eunuch. I have little doubt, hesitation in telling you this, that God will make sure that they get Jesus Christ preached to them. And when they do, they'll be just like that Ethiopian eunuch. He was riding down the road reading in his chariot. Next thing he knows, a little Jewish guy runs up beside of him and says, do you get what you're reading? And it wasn't Philip that made that appointment, but it was the Holy Spirit uh, that God said, I can hit a moving target. Uh, I can intersect him at just the right time. Uh, And Philip comes up beside him and asks him that question. The man stops uh, after Philip had climbed on board and began to tell him uh, about Jesus Christ uh, where he was reading in Isaiah 53. uh, uh, And it was talking about how that he was wounded uh, and bruised uh, that the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by the time he got done, and I'll tell you this, he bound to have mentioned baptism somewhere in that sermon because he caused the chariot to stop. And he said, There's water. What hindereth me from being baptized? But you'll notice that what he told him, he said, If you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, then you can be baptized. Not the other way around it's not the baptism that saves somebody but it's the completion it's the thing that is an obedience to the command of God you see Jesus he told it very plainly there that those who would ask him and believe on him they would have everlasting life not because you hung around with them not because you endorsed him and I've had people do that had, had lost people oh That Jeremiah, he's a good preacher. And you should listen to him. It makes me think of that woman with the unclean spirit talking about Paul. She was witnessing of him. Oh yeah, listen to him. Finally, Paul got sick of it and turned around cast that demon out. And people got mad at him for doing it because they were making money off of her. Because she was a soothsayer. I can tell you this. Don't believe because I told you. Believe because that He's been revealed to you by the Holy Spirit because this chapter ends out with Peter confessing Jesus to be the Christ and Jesus tells him it's not flesh and blood that has revealed this to you but it's God's Holy Spirit. I can stand up here and tell that I collapse from hunger. And tell you about all these things. And it won't do you not one whit of good. As far as salvation is concerned. As far as uh, being uplifted or enduring until the end. But the Holy Spirit. If He bears witness of what I'm saying. Then listen. Listen. Heed the word of the Lord. Jesus said you know the problem is. That you've seen all the evidence. And you still won't believe. Believe. And I can tell you the irony is, is that in this day and time, you would think truth would be more free. And yet the truth is readily suppressed. Months ago, I'm sure most of you recall, it was trust the science. And of course, recently we've been revealed that somebody's been manipulating the science. And that it wasn't actually sound science. Had a discussion with a professor, a friend of mine down there at Marshall about this and we were talking about faith and he was an atheist and we were having a good conversation about it I don't think he realized I was actually witnessing to him from the standpoint of somebody who understood science and we were talking about and he said well it just doesn't make sense to me you know to to take these things on faith I'm about empirical data and of course I said but have you ever sat down he was a biology professor. And I said, have you ever sat down and done every single experiment that led to the cell theory? And that's, that's just the, that's base level biology, the cell theory. First tenet of the cell theory is the cell is the basic unit of life. It took him a good while to pan that out. And they did experiments and they looked through microscopes and they did all this. And he said, well, No. And I said, of course you could have, because there wasn't a whole lot that had to be done there. I said, but you trusted in something that what you were being told was true. And he said, yeah. And I said, that's faith. Because you didn't sit down and do all the experiments yourself. You didn't figure it out yourself. Like the scientific method. I can tell you that a lot of people with PhDs, they trust in the scientific method and it's all well and good. And yet every time I've ever helped any of them do research, they always preach about introducing bias into your own research instead of being completely and totally empirical in your research. And so then can you trust in the scientific method to that extent? And of course the answer is no. You cannot but you can look at things and you can test them for reasonableness and I can tell you this if you look at the word of God from an empirical standpoint and you go all the way back to the book of Genesis and if you allow it to be submitted as true that what Genesis says is true and that God created the heavens and the earth and everything that was created and he did it in six days and at the end of the sixth day he looked around and he said it's very good not just good Very good. That included man. Man was part of that. Man was very good. And then you ask yourself, what happened? Sin came into this world by man. And nature and everything else has paid the price since. Because you'll notice that Adam and Eve, when they looked down and saw that they were naked, it says that they took leaves off of trees, sewed together fig leaves, and clothe themselves. And that wasn't good enough. And you know man's been trying to cover himself since. And when it was all said and done. When God pronounced the curse upon them. When they were, before they were cast out of the garden. It says that God took animals and killed them. Animals paid the price. It wasn't the animals that sinned. But they were killed. They were the first sacrifice. Their blood was shed to remit their sins. To put a stay on it. But God already had a plan in place. That He looked down into the future and He had for Himself a sacrifice. And that is this man that's talking to these people right here. Uh, that Jesus now, He tells them, and I don't have time uh, to get into all of it, but let me summarize it for you. As He tells them, when the Son of Man uh, is lifted up uh, and He dies, uh, it'll be for your sins. Uh, and it'll remit them. Uh, and it'll deal with them once. And for all. And then the big thing is the rest, well, that's up to you. What you do with that. You know, it's the same as, like I've told my students, and there's some that, you know, I'm starting to hear back from former students. Uh, the first group that I had for an entire year, they're seniors at Spring Valley right now, most of them. And I've been blessed with the occasion to talk to them. And several of them, I I taught them a lot of chemistry when they were in the eighth grade, more than what I was even technically supposed to. And it was because that I'd seen how useful chemistry and physics were in all of the other sciences. And if you ever take a biology class, they'll spend a good deal of time talking about energy. Well, that's physics. And they'll spend a lot of time trying to teach chemistry. And those were the two things that I struggled with until I had those classes. And I took these kids, and I I told them about this. And and I could tell, and one of them even had the occasion. He told me, he said, we hated you for making us learn that. And I said, I know you did. I know that you didn't like it. It was hard. That's what he told me. He said, it was so different. It didn't come easy. I was used to being a big fish in a little pond. And I told him, but I, he said, but I remembered later on when you told us, you said, it'll serve us down the line better than anything else we learn. And for this old teacher, it was really good to hear. It, it brings tears to my eyes now. He said, thank you for teaching us that even when we didn't want you to. And you see, Jesus, you know, he did so much more than what I did with those kids. What he did in this world is he come down into him and he didn't have to. He stepped out of glory and perfection and He became this rotten, corruptible flesh. And it said that He came to do the will of the Father. He refused to be corrupted by the things of the world so that He would be the acceptable sacrifice. You see that... And this is one of those things that I come back to frequently. It says in the Old Testament, cursed is a man who's hanged on a tree. And Jesus was cursed when he was hanged on that tree. And he voluntarily went to it. Voluntarily was cursed. You'll notice when God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, did you notice there was a curse? Cursed! Cursed! is the ground for thy sake for by the sweat of your face shall ye eat of the ground woman was cursed man was cursed this world was cursed and then when Jesus hung on that cross he took the curse upon himself he took your curse and mine and he dealt with it once and for all and all that we're called to do is to believe Him. To believe Him. To take Him in as a Savior. Because we're not good enough to save ourselves. And church, sometimes you've got to return back to that to maintain what you have right now. To go back and remember, hey, before I met Jesus, look at what kind of person that I was. And though I'm not perfect... I'm way better than I was. Because one of the big things that I learned at Marshall, but Wayne County Board of Education doesn't seem to really follow as readily in my opinion, is that when you're gauging how a student is doing, you look at their growth. You don't look at how well they're doing compared to somebody else. Maybe they missed every question on the pretest test and they only got 10 right out of 30 on the post-test that is still growth that is still movement forward and praise be unto God that he grades us not on how we measure up to everybody else but rather we're graded I mean if we really want to grade ourselves then the template would be Christ when we look around and say that guy calls himself a Christian I've heard what he said I've seen what he's done I know his deeds. I'm just as good as he is. Actually, I'm better. Better than he is. And if he makes it, I will too. But the thing that may separate him and you is that he has a Savior and you don't. You may say, can he live like that? I don't recommend it. But I can tell you this. We might be surprised who we see in heaven. Because they'll come and say... It's all on Christ. It's all on Him. Where we might be saying, but I went to church every Sunday. But 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 I put money in the offering plate. But I'm a good guy. And I'll tell you the same thing that I tell my students whenever they come running up. Did, did you say something about me? It ain't all about you, kid. It ain't all on you. It has to be all on Him. Otherwise, you'll smack the crucified hand of Christ away and say eh, I'll pick my own path I'll find my own way I'll do it myself and then when you stand before the Most High God he'll say well this is the way you picked you worked it out here's your reward depart from me you that work iniquity I never knew you you don't grade yourself based on somebody else don't look at me I can't get you to heaven Don't think for a second that my name will get you anywhere in heaven or get you close. But if you name the name of Christ, you receive Him as a Savior. It'll get you all the way there. But I can't. But you have to believe, and I can't believe it for you. I can't get you there. I can't save you. Couldn't even save myself. But He can. Because I'll I'll end with this next verse of the response to when Jesus is telling them the will of God. They found out. Jesus told them plainly, here's the will of God. Verse 41, the Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which come down from heaven. They missed the point. Don't miss the point. The point is salvation in Jesus Christ, and beside him there is no other. He is the bread of God which cometh down from heaven. He is the bread of life. Beside him there is no other. Let's all stand and get a song.